Hungry Homies, today's House of Carbs brought to you by the all-new BMW 3 Series. Don't be driven by technology, drive it! The all-new BMW 3 Series is available with all the latest BMW innovations. But what you will love about this vehicle can't be listed or explained in words. It has to be felt on the road, just like the delicious Focaccia de Recco at Chispaca has to be experienced in your mouth and in your belly. Hurry now in to your local BMW center today and test drive the all-new BMW 3 Series for yourself. The all-new BMW 3 Series. Don't be driven by technology. Drive it. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. It's another episode of House of Cars, the food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people. I am your hungry host, Joe House. Speaking of Joe House, what a powerhouse episode of House of Carbs this week. Incredible opportunity. I was out in L.A. uh, about six weeks ago. And my good pal, Adam Rappaport, was there, and he was interviewing John Shook and Vinny DiTolo, better known as John and Vinny of the famous John and Vinny Italian restaurant in Fairfax. They just opened up another branch in uh, Melrose, I believe, and they are the kingpins of the entire John and Vinny empire. They have animal they have twamek they have familiar i'm gonna mess it all up but these guys uh were on the ground for the revitalization and renaissance of the la dining scene they uh are also up in the air right now the feature that rapo has in this month's issue of bon appetit magazine the may issue on newsstands now chefs on a plane where these guys have partnered up with delta airlines on their business suite flights from LAX to nine cities worldwide. They are serving John and Vinny food on the airplane. You can get a John and Vinny meatball. You can get a delicious focaccia. You can get an unbelievable appetizer, hot house coho salmon, uh, and, and other assorted delightful goodies you would not expect to eat on airplane. These guys have figured it out. We were in their test kitchen. It's a really amazing conversation. I think you're going to like it very much. Before we get in that belly, though, I have to tell a quick story and give some shout-outs. I, my own self, had a milestone birthday over the weekend, and I started eating. I was in L.A. last week. We ate at Chispaca. Bill Simmons was an unbelievable host for the week. We ate at his home where his mom uh, made... An old-school Italian feast for us, the brajoles, the meatballs, the roasted red pepper, the Caesar salad, just a beautiful array. She broke out a couple of fine bottles for us, and we ate like kings. I came home here to Washington, D.C., and you know how I roll, hungry homies. If I'm going to have a a great big birthday dinner with a bunch of my local friends, it's going to be at the Momofuku CCDC. So we had it all arranged. My beautiful wife had set it up. She'd coordinated with the Momofukus, and we were going to eat every single thing on the menu. Lo and behold, Momofuku encountered a technical difficulty Saturday night, and we got a message at 5.15 in advance of our 8 p.m. dinner reservation with 15 friends. Hey, hey, folks, uh, we're sorry to do this, but the restaurant is closed. And... My immediate reaction and response was, I'm being punked. That's fine. I'll, I'll roll with it. I, you know, I'm going to get fed one way or the other. I know that there's going to be you know, a lot of food and a lot of alcohol in my life uh, coming up. But uh, it turns out um, there actually was a technical problem at the Momofuku CCDC 
Saturday night and they sent folks all over the place. Um, we were super fortunate and I wanted to give the shout out to Chef Tay Strain at Momofuku CCDC. He reached out to the good people over at a restaurant here in town in, in a hotel, the Line Hotel. It's a restaurant called A Rake's Progress and it's a spectacular uh, kind of, I'll call it like a, a new American kind of menu by... Um, so a couple couple guys, couple chefs here from the Mid Atlantic that are have been super focused for the entirety of their careers on Mid Atlantic ingredients and and you know true pioneers on grabbing uh, ingredients from the diverse uh, uh, regional foodways that emanate from uh, Chesapeake Bay. And I'm gonna mess up um, chef's name uh, because I my I mess up every name. Um, chef Spike Gerdy, uh, and I'm sorry for, for the botch, uh, chef Spike, um, chef Spike was not there, but his homie, his right-hand man, the executive chef, Patrick Crooks also goes by Opie. Chef Crooks was in the house. He came over and great, gave me a great big bear hug. And I just have to give a shout out to a rake's progress. All they did was bring us wave after wave of giant platters of of food and i'm going to hit a couple of the highlights i have the menus here was there seafood yes there was seafood we had a in fact their version of the seafood tower oysters smoked trout lump crab louie baltimore canyon lobster and of course there was a, a, a another totally separate maryland crab louie uh set aside for us we had all of the small plates, there was grilled asparagus, there was mushroom pasta, there was gnocchi, we had crab fritters, that was a highlight. And then, of course, we went right in on all of the proteins, your grilled young chicken, your pork blade steak, your bone-in ribeye, all of it. The grilled duck breast was spectacular, the grilled pork was unbelievable, and I just want to give a shout-out to, to Chef Opie. His homie, Chef Cameron Loftus, Cam Loftus, came. I went over, got a nice hug with Chef Cam, and the the service was unbelievable on the spur of the moment, and uh, I couldn't be more appreciative to both Chef Tay and to all the folks at A Rake's Progress. We're going to get a bunch of pictures of A Rake's Progress, this meal that we had up on the Instagram, at the House of Carbs. You'll see what I'm talking about with this menu, but extremely appreciative to everybody for the hustle and taking what could have been a lemon of a birthday and then turning that sucker into some beautiful lemonade. Now let's get in that belly. Speaking of lemonade, nothing is more delicious than this podcast we had. It's John Shook. It's Vinny DiTolo. It's Adam Rappaport from Bon Appetit. And it's you're going to love hearing about how they fit all of this food onto an airplane. It's a It's a great opportunity to get in that belly. So let's do it. Oh, my taste buds, <laughs> my hungry homies, what a day to be alive. We are in Los Angeles, California. The sun is coming down. It was warming my shoulders, but now I'm in a, a uh, totally enclosed conference room, but inside a compound that is surrounded by, by kitchens. There's food. I can smell garlic coming through the walls. I'm sitting here with my homie. You all know him very well, the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit magazine, Adam Rappaport. What's up, Rappo? Joe House. We are in Los Angeles, the beautiful occasion. My first time meeting, these are old pals of Rappos, but my first time meeting John Shook and Vidi Dotolo, the John and Vinny of the Los Angeles food scene. What's up, my fellas? Just hanging. Just yeah, hanging, yeah. So I... How, so you've been drinking today already? No. No. I'm, I'm saving it up. <laughs> okay. I crashed this beautiful scene because Rappo and, and Bon Appetit had this beautiful inspiration to come out and, and chat with John and Vinny about this collaboration that they are doing with uh, Delta Airlines they're trying to put edible food on an airplane. <laughs> and so far, it seems like from the reviews, there, there's, there's a success uh, story to be told here. Now, I, we will get to this airline food situation 
in a minute. But I want to start with just you guys, because this is our first time meeting. We've seen each other for all of 15 minutes here. And the very first thing I said when I walked in is the stories are true. Y'all two look alike. I mean, <laughs> it's not just the, the, the size and shape. They're basic same height. It's it's the it's the beautiful California locks. It's the facial hair. These dudes are living the John and Vinny life. Let there be no doubt. I want to start with this. How do two guys from opposite coasts in Florida find their way west to Los Angeles, California? It happened just by chance, actually. We we were cooking in Miami together. We met down there at culinary school and uh, we were working together for Michelle Bernstein, who's a chef down there, well-known chef. And uh, we kind of wanted to see some other things. And uh, we took a job in actually Vail, Colorado with someone that we had worked with back in Miami and uh, followed him out there to Vail. And we kind of loved it, but kind of hated it. Um, you know, we were used to the sun and the beaches and like, you know, the Florida lifestyle and it was cold in Colorado yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Um, loved the snowboarding. The cooking was good, but the product was okay. Uh, and John had an aunt that lived in Calabasas, the now famous Calabasas. Um, it was Kardashian, it's one the, of the Kardashians. They were out aunt? there. I'm sure yeah. they were out there. We didn't know. <laughs> we didn't know about them, but, um, so John had an aunt that lived in the Valley and she offered us, uh, her couch for, for as long as we wanted to stay. And I think we definitely, uh, overstayed our welcome nice uh we were there for a couple months and uh we eventually found a job here in la in beverly hills uh working for ben ford and govan armstrong um some la chefs and really fell in love with the product and that really is what kept us here in la to start yeah so that's the, that's the nutshell version of it who and 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 mm -hmm. there's a there's a legendary story about the original hiring at the restaurant chadwick ben yep. ford's and govin's place um who who was who did the interview who was who got well, interviewed well we actually this is back in the day with uh fax machines and we faxed both of our resumes but only one went through and it was <laughs> it was Vinny's. yeah uh <laughs> so they called Vinny and, and you I, that back in the day when you do the fax machine and the, the two pieces of paper <laughs> go through together and you're no you're trying to pull one out <laughs> yeah. and then i remember we're so old house and i are so old that i remember back the fax machine when it was like the weird fax paper that yeah, was right, all kind of right. glossy, glossy and crappy, right. and it would That's scroll right. out. And, and it was purple. The purple oh, ink came out on that, that was sucker. The worst. Oh, yeah. Man. So they they called Vinny up, and uh, Vinny was like, "Yeah, I'd love to come in for an interview, but I will only come in if you let John come in." Did you get his resume as well? And they're like, "No, we never received his resume." Wait, how, old like, are, how old are you guys at this? We're twenty one, uh, and John was probably twenty. So it, who do you think you are? This way? No, I only <laughs> come in if my boy John comes in. I knew, like, you, we knew who we were. That's the thing. Is like we just. We've we always just been who we we've been, team. you know, like, you know, so, so they said, uh, do you mind faxing his resume over as well? Which we did. And, uh, it was basically the same resume. I was going to say, up the yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. They were like, we actually did receive that resume. Actually. We, uh, what was, uh, what was your hair and beard situation at the time? It was long. It was growing. I can't remember. You know what, what happened was, uh, when we worked back in Florida, there was this guy that worked for us. He was a total dick i mean he was a one of those servers that you just kind of hated as a cook and he had really long hair like past his nipples and he, he uh he came to work Did one he day work we, shirtless uh <laughs> well i could just envision it just hung, hung down low yeah it was long and uh he showed up to work one day and his hair was gone and and we were like what happened to your hair why'd you decide to cut it and he was like he told us about uh how he grew his hair out every it took him about four years to grow up for wigs for kids uh, wow. which is a, a charity and, you know, really resonated with us that this guy could be such an asshole, but then do like <laughs> do put in so all nice. the work. That, like, yeah. And uh, that's what really inspired the hair growth. And, and, and that was uh, the beginning of it. So do you guys participate with this charity, interact with this charity? We, we have participated. We haven't grown in a little while. I actually have long hair right now because my son, uh, who's now three, uh, never got a haircut. And I was like, I'm going to grow my hair with them so we could like, bro out and get a haircut together and he doesn't want to get his haircut now so i kind of just like going with it <laughs> I can't, can yeah I, he's like i got that over you like i won't get a haircut so I, I, we all have kids here right yep. yeah so uh, this is not a food story but so my son marlon like when he was three he had this long scraggly blonde hair yeah that i mean it was kind of cool my wife loved it. like no we don't ever cut his hair it's so adorable blah, blah, blah. like don't cut it and finally like when he was five like we finally cut it or something five or six 
And I've been kind of, I'm like, baby, let's just, what? so he finally gets a cut and he comes back from school that day and he's like, thank you so much for cutting my hair. And now I can like see in class and I can concentrate better. <laughs> oh my I'm God. Like, oh my God. We're such terrible parents. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, his, his definitely hangs in his eyes, but he like, he just goes with it. I mean, I guess he's like a sheepdog where it's like, you just get used to he's it. He's also only three at this point. Yeah, what does yeah, he have to do? That's right. You know, <laughs> he's, he's eat got snacks time and hang yet. out. Yeah. <laughs> But so yeah, you got we, hired. Yeah, yeah, we got hired. But face, but the other thing that happened was that that John was from what is now Ben's ex-wife's same hometown, and she recognized she was doing which work is what Ormond Beach, Florida. Yeah, and we went to the same high school, which was Seabreeze High School. Oh, so that's she a was crazy like small world. Yeah, and, yeah. and this is like so she recognized where I'm from that is like his... super small town. So mm. like you know, she saw that she's like, we got to give these guys a chance. You know, I don't care if they're short, short and furry like trolls, but <laughs> let, let's give them a chance. You know. So we actually agreed to take a job with them uh, under the condition that uh, after 90 days, it, they would match the pay we were making in Colorado because we took a huge pay cut uh, uh. to take the job. And uh, the 90- You guys are ballsy, man. Just like putting demands down? That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, well, you know. I mean, well, God bless you. That's confidence, great. confidence. Didn't have anything yeah. to Overly lose. confident yeah. and totally do dumb. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. and, they gave us a raise, and then the next day we came to work, worked a full day, super psyched that we had the raise. And Was that from like $11 an hour to $12 an hour? It was actually from $9 to $13. Wow. And uh, Working in restaurants ain't easy. No. no. And uh, <laughs> that day they told us they actually were going out of business. Oh, my so God. So we got the raise. The next day they were going out of business, and then we kind of became Guy Friday out here in L.A., just – trying to pave our own way between cooking and not really wanting to fall back into a restaurant. Uh, and we got to actually work with an amazing house painter, which I think really influenced our career in a way of, you can't really explain to people. Like work ethic kind of thing? Uh, attention to detail. detail. Oh, you know, like he, wow. he was the kind of guy that would come in and be like, you'd be working all day, like literally like taping, priming, sanding, painting. And he would like come in and be like, okay job, but you have a drip right there. And you're like, what do you mean a drip? I don't see a drip anywhere on the wall. And he's like right there. And he can like walk like 10 feet and like point it out. And he'd be like, sand the whole wall and do it again. And like that process, I think really made us start to pay attention to all the little nuances. Now, were you cooking during this time as well? Yes. Little side yeah, jobs? We, were, we were like, well, we were working for Ben. We were, ah. Ben, Ben had us, Ben was like, I'm going to open another restaurant. And we were like, okay. And like, he kind of had us helping him do stuff here and there, had us sort of at his house that he just bought. And like, we were painting his house and that's how we got tied in with this painter. Yeah. And, and the other Pat. thing that like a lot of people don't really realize about us is like, you know, Vinny and I really chose the life of food, you know, so people would come to his house and lived in LA for their whole life. And like, they'd be like, what restaurant are you guys talking about? And like, we'd be talking about like Papa Cresta's or like some random place. It's like in a not, uh, I guess, an area where they grew up in. And like, we'd be like, I can't believe you've never been there. It's across from the Greek Orthodox Church. It's one of the oldest Greek restaurants in all of LA. It's super affordable. It tastes delicious. Like, and they'd be like, how'd you guys find out about it? And it, you know, it was from Jonathan and LA Weekly from, you know, Zagat used to put out the books. Mm. Remember the oh, books? Oh, yeah. Love the books. Yeah. I still and, have some. Yeah, so do we. And, um, you know, that's where we'd get a lot of our reference. And we would do the drive. You know, we would do whatever it took to go out and like see LA. And it really opened us to this food scene. Uh, here in LA and really changed the way that we cook because up until that time we were pretty much just doing like Floridian food, which was very French technique with, you know, food from around the world. So who was who, who the, what's it? The Floribian Floribian guy. What's his the name? Floribian. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, well, there's Norman, Norman Van Aken. Norman Van Aken. Yeah. yeah. Godfather. He was like Godfather yeah. King down there. And there was Mark Douglas, Rodri Douglas yeah. Rodriguez, oh, wow. Mark Militello. All those guys were like, uh, and there's an, there's some other guy down there too, but they were like the mango gang. Yeah. But the other thing was that like when John says like we chose the life of food is like we weren't necessarily, uh, listen, we partied and we went out with cooks and all that stuff. But like we really kind of reinvested our money in ourselves. We would go out and spend our money on food. So we would be eating at, you know, a three Michelin star restaurant somewhere in New York, but we were spending all of the money we had on that. Like yeah, that was, that was how we saw our future was by investing in sort and like of the when knowledge all of our buddies we were like going to spring break. It's like we, we were working, you know, and like Christmas, what the fuck was that? You know, it was a good opportunity <laughs> for us to make more money, you know, and like, and that was our life for so many years up until 
uh, only a couple years ago, we started making a decision when we became parents that, uh, you know, we need to kind of give them our attention as well. And it couldn't just be about our selfish food love. So I, I saw in the research um, for this uh, sit down with you guys that, you know, in terms of this uh, evangelism, this L.A. food scene evangelism, like very early in your career, as soon as you got a little bit of a taste of money and with the success of the catering thing, you were basically like plowing every dollar into going out and eating at every great place in in the LA scene, and this is like in the late nineties, early two thousands, right? Yeah, yeah, early two thousands. You 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 authorized. But we were somebody. doing that prior to moving to LA. So like, even when we lived in Florida, it was like every dollar earned went back to the game, you know, and that's uh. that was a big thing. And I think, uh, you know, one of the best things that uh, Michelle told us when we worked for her is like, you're gonna learn the most just going to eat. You know, not just cooking. You got to go eat. You got to see it from the customer's perspective and experience from the customer's perspective and develop your own beliefs and your own thought thought processes of how you want to present your food. Well, the story I saw said that you guys spent $150,000 in 12 months on eating out in, yeah. in restaurants. Could, well, the other <laughs> thing is we... A lot of that was because we liked the wine back then. So ah, it was like we had no... Who doesn't know, like the wine? We definitely didn't hold back on the vino, you know? So yeah. it's like, I remember, you know birthdays and buying wine that was as old as our uh, as old as we were just <laughs> just to go for it you know and i think those are all things that as adults now uh you look back at it and you're like man i i don't know how we pulled that off it's like when you don't have anything to lose i guess you're willing to risk it quick break from this chat with rapo ed john and Vinny for a word from our friends at everly would you buy a t-shirt for 50 bucks if you knew it only costs $7 to make, with Everlane, you never overpay for quality clothes. Everlane makes premium essentials using the finest materials and without traditional markups. They want you to know what you're paying for and why. So they're transparent about their real costs and every step in their process from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with, and because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. No matter your style, Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. I, my own self, have gone ahead and jumped on some Everlane jeans and some Everlane khakis and some Everlane t-shirts. And the quality is spectacular across the board. And so is the fit. They got the fit exactly right. And I'm, you know, I'm old. But getting the clothes that fit right is on the money. Right now, you can check out the personalized collection at everlane.com slash carbs. This is our personalized collection. Listen to this. Everlane.com slash carbs. Plus, you get free shipping on your first order. Free shipping. That's everlane.com slash carbs. Also, a quick word from our good friends at Uni. The average American will eat 46 slices of pizza this year. We are not the average American. My hungry homies, what's 46 times 4? I can't do that math in my head. What is that, 184? That's more like it. Uni revolutionized outdoor cooking with the world's first portable wood-fired pizza oven so you can get restaurant-quality pizza in your own backyard. The key to making great pizza at home is heat. Uni ovens heat to 932 degrees, giving you the crispy outer and chewy inner crust. They have three distinct models, the Coda, the Uni 3, and the Uni Pro. The Coda is compact and ready right out of the box. Instant gas ignition. You can get hot and ready pizza in 15 minutes. It's stylish, it's portable, and it's great for small outdoor spaces. The Uni 3 heats in 10 minutes, and the Uni Pro makes larger pizzas. And you know, the Uni is not just for amazing pizzas. You can use it for perfectly seared steaks and vegetables too i have this thing we have it lined up we're getting ready right now and, and and i have to uh 
confess the first thing I'm going to cook in this thing, it's mid-May, so the weather's still uh, getting proper for outdoor cooking here on the East Coast in, the, in Washington, D.C., I have a bunch of steaks lined up that I'm going to put in this thing. We're going to, te- we're going to christen this with filet. And you better believe they're Pat Lafritas. Go to uni.com and enter code HOC for 10% off your purchase. That's O-O-N-I.com to get your Uni Coda, Uni 3 or Uni Pro. Enter HOC at checkout for 10% off your purchase. Enjoy fast, free shipping on all orders over $100. O-O-N-I.com. Code HOC. You guys get credit in publications that are sort of current uh, that are talking about the L.A. restaurant renaissance. And you guys were basically here for that the entirety of that time period where uh, from the late 90s and uh, the, the, all the way up to till now where um, there is this. Uh, I, I don't know why it is. I keep having people on this podcast talking about Los Angeles. I had Bill Addison on the uh, former national food critic for Eater, who's now moved out here to L.A. and is writing for the L.A. Times as a food critic. And, you know, the basic idea of L.A. maybe jumping up and grabbing the 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 throne. It has the belt right now in these United States of America is the best food city in America. And that's a pretty, like, novel thing. It's It's been a long time coming Maybe, but you guys live I, live through it. I, I'd say I'd say you're exactly right on the long time coming thing. I think that we've been really obsessed with the food scene here since the day we moved here. I think that the diversity, the different ethnicities, and how they're represented in the amount that they're represented here is pretty incredible. I mean, Koreatown is an incredibly large population of Koreans, and all the food that they have there, all the food that they've brought. Um, it's it's a wealth of knowledge, and then the, the you talk Hispanic about Chinese population, the, the Chinese population, the Hispanic, I mean, it's, the Japanese. Um, it it really it, it it's endless. I almost get anxiety thinking about how many places there are to try and eat here in LA because there is that much good food here. And I think we see a lot of the restaurants, you know, like Adam, like they like you guys public, you know, publish tons of a lot of the new popular sort of chef driven restaurants but the undercurrent is really sort of all these other ethnicities here that have inspired all of us in this food community to do what we do and i think we're guilty in the media in that we're so often writing about what's new exactly what's high profile um and not realizing like oh well the san gabriel valley koreatown this this food's always been there and it's always been amazing and trying to sort of eventually give it you know, the the love and attention it deserves. Um, but also on that sort of more high profile level, like the number it, back in the day in the 90s, like, you know, you had like Wolfgang and you had like Joaquin Splashow and stuff. Yeah. But there were not a lot of other really buzzy restaurants in the room. No. There was like, you know, like there was like the high profile Hollywood places. Now it just feels like there's LA is sort of operating on all those different frequencies. Yes. Well, it's interesting you know? in LA because I think also what's happening with the food scene is you're getting all these chefs from outside of LA that are coming here. And putting their flag in this city as well, which is, it's an interesting approach. I mean, uh, you know, it definitely has diversified the city with the chefs and exposed. Well, like, first thing, you guys like so your partners with Sarah Kramer and Sarah Hymanson over at Kismet, yeah, uh, who were in New York together at a restaurant yeah. called Glassery. And it's like, if you're a chef in New York and you want to open a restaurant, it is. I mean, it's so expensive and it's so hard. It's but, so taxing. But believe it or not. It's here in LA now as well. Has it's, it gotten there? Oh my God, it's crazy. It's out of control what's happening and the cost of operating. I mean, just finding rent that just makes sense for LA because you also got to remember that, yeah, LA is getting a lot of this press and the media is blowing it up, but like hospitality is still not our number one industry, which it is in so many other cities. You know, we're, I think last time we looked, it was number seven. Uh, you know, uh, industrial. What's weed, what's weed right now? Like number I five? Know. I haven't looked in a while. <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't looked in the last couple of years. Manufacturing is number one, Manufacturing is number one. Manufacturing in Pharmaceuticals, number two. Manufacturing of what? Entertainment is number oh, yeah. 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 Pharmaceuticals, number two. And, and, and number three was entertainment. It's like, you know, so as long as you understand that, like, hey, you're coming to L.A., this isn't uh, a city that, yes, it's getting a lot of press about the food, but it's not our number one industry, which it is in so many other cities. The approach has to be different. So even with all that, why are people coming here? What do you? What's your theory? Lifestyle, Weather, man. lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, look, and I think, pro- and produ- and I think the, product. the product. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the produce has grown from the weather, 
right? Yeah. So it all stems yeah. back to the weather. It's like happy vegetables need happy weather, right? It's yeah. like I think I also think that there's there's there have been a lot of great chefs, you know, not not that all these other little tiny little mom and pop places they were talked about and Jonathan Gold was definitely, you know, the voice of all of those little spots and yep. the sort of strip malls and whatnot. But there was Wolfgang for us to sort of lean on and there was Suzanne Goen. Nancy and Silverton. And then, and, and then yeah, our favorite, right. our favorite who always gets overlooked. The and king of food. He Nobu. should have his own podcast. Nobu. Nobu oh. Matsuhisa started his first U.S. restaurant here in L.A. Oh. And is still, I think... Should John, be on the cover of next month's magazine. <laughs> <laughs> John wants a lot of people on the cover of... He could, he, he could, he could buy the magazine at this yeah, point. The he way probably he's totally yeah. could. But the thing is, is like, yes, you know, I said this to somebody else and they're like, well, he doesn't need any sort of, you know, uh, press. And it, it's not about the press. It's just about sort of the recognition and sort of now, the you know, timeline you of know things. What he, should get? he should literally get royalties. You Think about all the sort of Asian, Japanese, fusion restaurants you go to now that have so many dishes just ripped off from him directly from Nobu, from directly. the miso cod we should call to the teradito, to all those Dude, sort of the things. The teradito, the jalapeno yellow We shouldn't even call it sushi here in America. We should just call it Nobu. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going like, to eat Nobu tonight. It's like, it's like the people when they say like LeBron James is actually underpaid. Like Nobu is, you know what I mean? Like yeah. how important those guys have been to the game. Yeah, he really is. And I think like he's like for us, like the hero of L.A., you know, and like I think like, you know, obviously he transitioned that thing into a gigantic brand. But I think that there's something to be said about how to keep a restaurant open, how to keep it relevant, how to keep it delicious and then turn it into a profit and then expand upon that. Have you, it's have, pretty incredible. Have you ever stayed at the Nobu Tower at I Caesars? I haven't. I haven't. No. Okay, it's it's fine, but what they do have they have they have <laughs> brand brand you've stayed there? No, we've got to go no, for the, get us a, uh, We got to go to the Pizza yeah. Expo oh, okay. in a couple weeks. <laughs> All right. Well, you we should go because the hotel is fine, you're at whatever, but what they do have is Nobu room service. And late night they Sick. have they have the rock shirt the spicy mayonnaise rock shrimp tempura in oh, sliders. Amazing. So you get like three little sliders and little like squishy brioches and the crispy. Oh my god! Told yeah. you he's a genius. I want to do. I want <laughs> let, let's do a, a couple minutes on Vegas because as you were talking about you know hospitality and the spread of restaurants and chefs from all over the country yeah. being attracted to L.A. That that happened in Vegas, right? I mean, that yeah. that's basically, yeah. well, it's still happening. It, it's happening, but it, it's because it's an amenity, right? Yep. So it's a little bit of a different experience. I think a lot of chefs end up in Las Vegas because, you know, chefs get desperate. And uh, when huh. they get cash waved in front of them, they seem oh. to jump on it really fast. And I think most chefs that have restaurants in, in Las Vegas are only there maybe five or six days out of the year. Sure. Sure. Right. So yeah. your, your name is an amenity. It's an attraction where LA it's not like that. Right. It's like this city will treat you like any big city and the food uh, culture here is, is tough. You know, there are people want to make sure that you're getting the best product. You know, they know it's like myself, my neighbor, my friends, it's like they all go to the farmer's market you know, and get their produce for, for the week. And it's like, if you try to pass off some kind of weak orange on them during citrus season, they're going to know. And I think, uh, you know, that is interesting to see chefs come in from the other parts of the world and have to kind of adapt to that thought process. And we're, we're not as, I don't know, we're not as dense. I think like, you know, New York is so dense. Well, that's a big thing about New York also in terms of like press and stuff it's like when you can be in a certain neighborhood in brooklyn like williamsburg wherever and you you can walk and within a five minute walk you can see these seven places you've read about yes. and heard about so often yeah in la you're getting in your car and you're driving you're 40 minutes to venice beach to, to go from to go from justa to kismet is an hour long you need a helicopter yeah it's not an hour it's more than it. it's, it's more to go it's like going to the listeners he's like venice on the coast yeah. to downtown la downtown is east silver lake east, east hollywood yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's over an hour it depends if you go at five o'clock you're, that's yeah. like two i mean it's but crazy but then also what happens is you have to dine in that kind of schedule so it's like if you live over in venice you're not going to drive to kismet for dinner and i think that's what changes a lot of the game between new york and some of these other cities is our public transportation which is a big initiative right now mm -hmm. on our mayor's behalf and i know that uh you know i'm sure you guys have seen as you've driven around the city all the subways that are getting added i've seen some of those earthquake movies man i don't know if i want to get on a subway <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think i think so we're, we're not pulling people from all over because now there are great like you said the scene has really exploded here back to your original question there's great neighborhood restaurants all over in every neighborhood 
in LA. Whereas when we started Animal, I don't think that that was the case. I think like now you go to Venice, there's a handful of restaurants to eat from that are incredibly good. You go to Silver Lake, same thing. You go out to the Valley, same thing. So it's, it's really changed in that regard. Whereas like you used to have to really kind of make it a mission to drive to go to Spago or drive to go to patina you know, patina. Yeah. Patina was dead downtown. Yeah. It's far. Well, so. I remember back when it was in Hollywood yeah. before it moved downtown. Yeah. And then and they were really kind of, kind of fancier restaurants. I think like now a lot of people are doing really high quality food across the globe. Yeah. But I think yeah, across America, more casual yeah, restaurants. The, the yeah. quality of those mid-level restaurants, especially in cities like Portland, Oregon, I think it's increased so much. Oh my like God. Now you, can, you don't have to have a reservation or what, you know, you don't have to yeah. reserve a month in advance yeah. at five 30 or nine 30, that nonsense. You can go get a really good meal with really good yeah. product. And I think at a time when animal opened, uh, which is, you know, obviously the restaurant that put us on the map out here, uh, it was so new for LA because LA really only had these very divey strip mall places or had food trucks or had high end. It didn't really have that middle range. And like animal kind of falls into that category. And you're like, we're about food. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's you, it. You, it wasn't like a Hollywood agent's sort no. of destination. No. And it wasn't a, a really pretty room. Believe it, it or not, really we got bare bashed. Bones we got simple. bashed in LA Times uh, by Irene. Yeah. And Jonathan gave us a good review. But really, I think. The industry is what championed us. A lot of chefs would come out here and they would go get in there and uh, people like you, Adam, would give us love and support. And that's what kind of helped, you know, us get to where we're at now. So that's that's something I'm, I'm really interested uh, by as it relates to your guy's story. You came out here to Los Angeles and kind of worked in like one restaurant and then like had a 10 year run, essentially eight, nine, 10 years before you oh, jumped out and started up your own thing. And it, or a little no. less, a yeah. little less. Okay. Yeah. A little less. We were, we were out we here did a couple years here, four years before animal open. Okay. But, but that, that all four of that time yeah. you were doing the catering thing, yeah. right? Yeah. The catering was kind of, you know, on survival. Um, and that is how we fell into catering and we never set out to cater. Yeah. And it's funny because well, here we, we are still sitting in your in your catering, catering this me megalopolis. Wait, can we talk about Party Down as the best TV show ever made? <laughs> are you guys fans? No, I don't know it. You never watched Party Down? No, I don't um, know. Sorry, um, what is it? That was a show that ran for two seasons with Adam Scott and then um, uh, Lizzie Kaplan, who is the best, coolest, funniest actress ever. Okay. And then Jane Lynch, she was in. Oh, but it's okay. basically it's about a catering company. So oh, each wow. episode is a different party that they're catering. Whether some crazy rich guy's bar mitzvah or the porn Amazing. awards or whatever. Hey, we, we always say that we have the perfect television show, which is called the Ultimate Catering Challenge. Because as a caterer, you could start, you learn all the things that really fuck you over. Yeah. And we could totally produce and manipulate every episode based on all the <laughs> kind of like things that you could do to people and really make it really miserable. Um, well, speaking of that, let's talk about the first experience you had with the guy that that's the, the only business partner you've had in your your entire career, um, your partner uh, that helped you open Animal and how you showed up at his house and he ended up with a toilet problem. Yeah, I mean, that's just a rare situation. But I think, uh, you know, when when Vinny and I or anybody from our company shows up at your house, we're there to work. And at the end of the day, whether it's a toilet or it's the food that you're going to have on your table it all has to work. Right. And, uh, at the time currently when I was there at his house, he had just, um, Wait, finished who, who remodeling is he, just it. for the listeners. Oh yeah. Uh, Benedict Tashin, uh, Tashin books. Yep. Tashin books, amazing books. I don't know if you guys ever oh, yeah. checked them out. Um, we like the art. Yeah. The art's awesome. Right. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite book? No idea. <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say the big penis book. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say is that, uh, he has an amazing house, a John Lautner house, it's, which is basically a house on a pole. And um, <laughs> down in the in the base of the house where the drain line was, there was a root that ate, ate up the drain. Uh, and, you know, I think the way that our team handled it that night, I think really kind of set the tone for him to know that if he gave us any money, that we would work our asses off to make sure we returned it. And I think that's kind of been true to every everything that we've done with him. And we're very fortunate to not have fallen into uh, so many other investors' hands or yeah. having to deal with hundreds of investors. I mean, a lot of chefs get, you know, a pile of investors and it, it only takes one rotten apple to ruin the bunch, you know? And sure. He's but, been nothing but a great guy. As a, as a chef or a young chef who wants to open a restaurant, 
Do you need to have investors? Do you have to take, is it possible to open a restaurant without investors? You could open a restaurant without investors. I mean, we, you know, believe it or not, Animal was two thirds paid for by Vinny and I. So Mm -hmm. uh, he only came in for a third and kind of covered that bridge for us. Now, currently, I mean, he'll, you know, he's obviously giving more than a third because we could never keep up with the speed and having to be parents and, you know, living life here in LA. I mean, school's not cheap. No. One more short break, my friends. I'm here to talk about Luminary. I love this podcast called The Trip. I've been checking out that, so that's why I'm all about Luminary, the only place you can find new episodes of this podcast. You ever want to get intoxicated in far-off lands with exceptional people? If you're listening to this podcast, you are probably in that demo. Gather your earbuds, Emmy winner and former Anthony Bourdain collaborator, Nathan Thornburg of Roads and Kingdoms, roams the intersection of travel, food, and culture with raw, intimate conversations over drinks with folks like Samin Nosrat, Jose Andres, W. Kamau Bell, and more. In addition to the trip, Luminary gives you access to a bunch of other original shows from innovative, dynamic creators that you can't find anywhere else. The Luminary app is free to download, and in addition to the can't-miss originals, you can use it to listen to thousands of podcasts, including the ones you already love, like this one, all enhanced by an easy-to-use interface with personalized content recommendations. Whether you're into food, travel, culture, comedy, golf, or more, Luminary has the right show for you. If you love podcasts, then you need to check out Luminary. Get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link slash carbs. After that, it's $7.99 per month. That's luminary.link slash carbs for two months of free access. Jump on that and listen to all those podcasts and get yourself accustomed to Luminary. Luminary.link slash carbs. Cancel anytime. Terms apply. So let's let's talk about the original thing that that brought us all together, which is this food that you're cooking on airplanes. Speaking of fixing toilets and stuff, uh, <laughs> impossible tasks, showing up to something that is not meant, you know, to be. It, it is a dehumanizing experience in in every uh, aspect, including this is the thing I I was I was shocked to see this. I never knew this that your taste buds diminished by thirty percent. From the experience of getting into the pressurized tube, is I thought you were going to say by thirty percent by the two vodka sodas that you drank when you got on the plane. Well, yeah, I don't know if that's a proven fact. Though. Okay, well, I I saw it in, as as part of the the tall tale um, describing the challenge in front of you two fellas as you took on this collaboration. How did this come together? Uh, it came together uh, mostly through Linton Hopkins, who's one of the Delta chefs and does uh, production for them as well out of Atlanta, which is their base. Um, you know, he connected us through Delta. And uh, they, you know, after a couple years of doing other things, they offered us the opportunity to start producing food for the airplane. And uh, it's been an amazing experience, to be honest with you. Uh, super challenging. Yeah. Definitely makes you think not like a chef. Uh, you know, you obviously. You think like a scientist, right? Well, uh, there's science involved bit. to it. There's also just operations. I think, uh, you know, thinking about how it's going to be executed, how to stay within uh, the confines of uh the rules and regulations that have to go into putting food on a plane. Um, it's a whole nother beast, you know? And I think for us, you know, if you try to judge us on our food, like you're eating at a restaurant, that isn't fair. But if you try to judge us on food that's on a plane, I think we'll compete with anybody. Yes. Yeah. So I, so I had my first experience last summer, um, I was flying back L.A. New York, which you guys do the L.A. JFK route. That's the only route, right? No, you do a few other. We got yeah. a few others. No, yeah. but domestic, right? No, they, no, no, we so have a couple. We have D.C. What? Uh, yeah. When? When did that start? Yeah. D.C. started when uh, when New York started. So what? one flight though, right? Yeah. It's one flight a day, I believe. Oh well, that's got to be on the right flight. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I would so put right myself now, on it. I just came from DC. So right now we're only doing <laughs> the, the Delta home. One, which is the lay down full lay down beds. Oh, but oh. Hopefully this so I year can eat, I can eat in full recline. Yeah, yeah. And, and watch a movie. You know, uh, getting cozy blanket, nice pillow. You know, all the good stuff. But uh, our hope is to get on more routes. Um, you know, it's been what they 
like they said, you like you got to crawl before you walk. And once you start walking, we could talk about running. Uh, and we've been on the plane now for a little over a year and it's, it's been going great. And they keep adding more and more routes. We just had a Mexico city, oh, uh, a cool. couple months ago. I don't know when this is going to play. Breakfast flight. Yep. So what, what, what was like the original menu and how has it changed since you've been doing it? Uh, well, the original menu had meatballs on it. Yeah. And, which, which we've cycled back to. Yeah. You know? And we actually, they took it off the plane for about a month and they got a reaction of where the fuck's the meatballs. <laughs> yeah. That would be my reaction. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, so now the meatballs have been on and those have been running and we've been toying with some other dishes. And as we, as they brought us on, they've also have upped their, uh, social platform mm. and their recording of information and they're able to get information a lot faster. So, uh, as of just a couple months ago, they started being allowing people to pre-order on on their phone cool. uh, and get feedback at a higher rate. So as we're getting more and more information and as Delta's getting more and more information, I think they're going to start leaning to dishes that are obviously the popular ones. So you you, you described up front that it's, it was an incredible challenge. Talk a little bit about like the logistics, just the sh- like some of the things. I mean, that just, just first, I just mean, I think start, the, just just getting we have to get the product here right from the farmers market because they're really about sort of this 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 local sort of uh story that we're telling through the food and by using the local product that we use at our restaurants um and they which want is us, important to us with taking which is very job. important we to were us. like we're not taking this job if we have to change what we're already passionate about so and what we're already so it starts preaching. there like that's a sourcing you're you're, sourcing. you're same sourcing as what you do for your restaurant same so, sourcing. so it starts there it starts with the sourcing then in, it has to be sort of tested and approved by them mm-hmm. which is a huge lengthy process and I mean, I don't know how. Is it because they just want a bunch of free meals out of it? No. Oh, okay. No, no. no they're I mean, actually on a time. I'd like they're, to be a tester. They're, they're like, they're literally on like two hours. Oh. These people are like, they're here for two hours and they get back on a plane. It's sure. pretty wild. Um, yeah. So it has to get tested. And we, by doing that, we have to test it internally before we even present it to them. And then we do that. And then sort of then becomes the logistics of us producing it on a mass scale. So we have to produce it with. All of these people that are back here, you know, we have to have a recipe and guidelines for all of that stuff. And then they have to deliver the food. Yeah, we also put in a HACCP plan to make sure that we're following all the food safety. And then we have to work along with the equipment that is already kind of aligned to Delta. You know, I think they told us that they haven't updated the oven in over 30 years, just as a little bit of information. Well, so, I mean, like you guys were talking before about talking about the meatballs, for instance, like, all right, so you have, they have to cook the meatballs. And then according to food safety, they have to get it down within four hours has to be below 41 degrees. And then when it's delivered to Delta, if it's not below 41 degrees, they will send the truck back. And that's that. Um, Other things like, you know, when you ever see the God bless the flight attendants, when they're preparing these meals, they have like they're all slid in in trays in that little rolling cart. So nothing can be over two inches tall. So the meatballs you'll get at John and Vinny's, which are more bigger, they're bigger, bulbous. They, those would not work on the plane. So you got to have a different size meatball. Then meanwhile, you're heating up the meatballs on the plane and the little garlic bread, the grilled garlic bread that goes with it can get heated up. But then there's cold things on the tray, like the little gem salad and whatnot yeah. that aren't heated up. Um, so there's a lot of, it's like a, it's a calculus of sort of crossing vectors of, well, this needs to be hot. This needs to be cold. This, uh, I mean, can we talk about the BLT that's no longer on the menu? Sure. Well, it might come back around. It's just not on the menu today. Right? Oh, okay. okay. So okay. About it, I, this was, so I, I, when I, I was fortunate enough to fly Delta one last year, last summer. And I was like, wow, they got a BLT on the menu. Cause like, you know, what's better than a BLT? Like uh, right. as exactly. far as sandwiches go, there's no, there is no better sandwich yeah. than the BLT period. So it comes and it's on straight and it's like two pieces of griddled bread, but, you know, facing open, nice and crispy and buttery on one side. Then there's like beautiful farmer's market tomatoes, crisp little gem lettuce, and then the hot bacon. And then on the side, it was like a garlicky mayo, right? Yeah. Kind of an aioli sort uh-huh. of situation. So you would assemble it yourself. I love mayo on both sides of the bread, for instance. You're like a lot of, of mayo. Yeah. And so you can assemble it. So the deal was, like, to their challenge, like, well, how do we keep the tomato and lettuce cold? How do we keep the bacon hot? How do we let the people apply their own amount of mayonnaise? And how do we keep it all under two inches high? In the same token. And it came with homemade potato chips. I, I want to ask about the bread. But that's, to me, the single biggest um, fail point. I, I first yeah, of all, How do you keep it crispy on the outside, moist on the how inside? How do you make it edible? How yeah. can you make edible I bread? I mean, bread is one of the hardest things uh, to 
put on a plane. I mean, yeah. just going up in the altitude helps dry it out. Yeah. And let alone having to, you know, warm it up and all the process to get into it. It's it's a tricky thing, but the way that we would package it, we would actually take the bacon right from being cooked and leave the fat on it. Oh. And then put that in between the bread and the bacon fat would help keep the bread moist. Yes. So that yeah. was that was part of the trick. Crack the uh, code. It's the fat, really. Well, the other the other thing that's really crazy that we're not even talking about is that there's over eighty thousand flight attendants and you don't know who's gonna be on your plane, right? So it's like it's a total game of telephone. We have to drop a map for them, is what they call it. And the map kind of explains how to get it from the pan to the plate. And you know, and you're always saying like, the fewer the steps, the better for everybody. Yeah, they yeah. keeps the flight attendants happy and keeps the food as error proof as yeah, possible. Yeah, there's really a, there's kind of like a there's a rule basically that you really can't do anything over three steps. Yeah, preferably I'll two. Tell you, I'll preferably tell you, two. And like we told Adam, man, the flight attendants have one of the hardest jobs you've ever seen. I mean, just dealing right. with the customers. Speaking of hospitality, oh my man, god, it's so, so hard. hard. It is crazy. Mm -hmm. This is the thing. Uh, there's two innovations that that uh, are probably for a different podcast than this one altogether. Somebody's got to come up with a better oven on an airplane. There's the, how can we be using thirty year old well, what's te fascinating technology? About I mean, so often with airplanes, I know like, so convection. many of the planes they have out there are so old still. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And 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 the and even the jet technology has not increased in forty years or something, you know. But yeah, you would imagine there'd be smarter convection-y microwaves. Oh man, there's so many things that they could do. But I think that, like you said, these planes have to fly for so many years to really make the them pencil out. And like trying to make a change to one plane means you got to change all the planes. And like I think they were telling us about just like the upgrade of putting internet on the planes and like how big of a process it was and how many billions of dollars. And so, I love how like how angry we get now. Like, why isn't the Wi-Fi working? What's going on? Yeah, like, yeah. I, 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 uh, well, I'm not know. worried about them recouping the, the cost of that investment the way they nickel and dime. Wow, it's gotten so expensive now. You try yeah. to get Wi-Fi. It used to be like four dollars. Now it's like twenty dollars. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. For the, well, I mean, I the, look, the airline flying planes is not cheap. It's right? tight yeah. margins for sure. You know, between uh, the people that are on the plane, the equipment, the actual plane itself, the gas. It's yeah, like from what we've learned from the aviation business, it doesn't seem like. It's an easy business yeah, to make. Yeah, it sounds money. like do not open an airline company. Don't go off this podcast it's, it's and kind, go open an airline honestly, company. Honestly, like the airline business is like it's it's similar to the restaurant business. Like yeah. the, the amount of people who actually stay afloat is very, very slow. Well, I, you know? I wanted to make a human capital observation. This could go on a human capital podcast. Why can't we tip flight attendants? Why isn't that practice? Can't you? They won't accept it? I don't know. I've never, never tried. I've never tried. Never tried. You're I, a good it's tipper, actually, I'm willing. Yeah. I'm, that a, could I'm be a your great new hashtag. Tipper. And I, I will say this: I was flying out yesterday. It's a great uh, idea from New York, um, New York, LA. Long flight. If you are genuinely nice to a flight attendant, like they come over, like, "Oh, hey, how you doing?" Like, "Oh," and they're like, "Oh, thank you for asking." They will hook you up. They are always. This is if what you I'm are nice at. to them, they will always be nice back to you. Like, they're, can they're do you need a refill? Yeah. Can I get you something else? Because like yeah. so many people are just. Barely look them in the eye, it, aren't engaging. I mean, I always but, say hi when I get on a plane. But, yeah. Now, after like learning so much about aviation, it's I'm like, if this plane's going down, those flight attendants have my ass, and I got to make sure I'm super nice to them. <laughs> and I got to be like, right when I see them, I got to say hi. But, I need to do whatever they ask. Isn't this the case though with all people in the hospitality industry? Yeah, like people yeah, are be nice to people are people are kind of dicks to people in the service industry. Well, they always like, say that. They always say that people, desk, there is, there is no mean, one lower than people who are rude to waiters. Oh, but there's they, a lot you know of these, them. Food, you know That's, these food festivals that happen all over the country. When we go and do them, I can't believe what I hear standing on the side of the table where I'm actually plating the food up and I'm giving it to the customers. It's unbelievable what the way people react and just watching them eat it and like what they'll say after eating it. It's like, dude, I'm right here. There's only 30 <laughs> inches of table between us. Like not the best decision. It's, you, you, it's pretty incredible though how rude people skin, are, right? you know? Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's, it, it starts, I mean, at the airport, I mean, it starts with the, you know, the curbside. It's like how mean they are to those people. Then they get, then they're mad at the TSA people. Then they're mad at the people at the counter for delaying the yeah. flight. And it's like, man, it's like a lot of this is out of these people's control. Like just, just chill. It is. Know? It is stressful. I, I I do tip the curbside dude. Oh but my I, god! I, yeah, I, do. I, I mean, that, that's how you make sure your bags get where they got to get to. But the, <laughs> but I I think this is it. I'm gonna tip. I'm gonna try and tip the flight I'd attendant on this know. on this flight back uh, when I fly back from from L. A. to D. C. Yeah. I need a I'm report. Yeah, I, I, I want to know too. Yeah, let's we'll, we'll make sure we go. What's really cool about this facility, Joe? And we're in Inglewood, correct? Yeah, we're in City of Champions. 
is everything that goes on that plane is something you would eat right now. You would you could eat in the restaurant and like scrambled eggs, which I'm kind of just a little bit obsessive about. They're making you know farm fresh eggs yep. that day, softly scrambled. Um, that you then use a steamer to steam to sort of inject a little bit more moisture, moisture. in there, keep them super moist. A moist cooking environment. And yep. then, do you want to talk about the weird thing that happened? Yeah. The eggs turning green? The eggs basically turned green because, you know, say a flight attendant, they get up in the air, they put the food in the oven. Basically, once they get to 10,000 feet, they start their sort of service process. Yeah. That means getting people drinks, getting people orders, start Mm -hmm. the cart, they load things up, right? So they put the food in the oven a lot of times then. And if they hit turbulence and the captain's like, hey, everybody take their seat, right? That food's in the oven and it could stay in there until the captain's like, okay, you can get Uh... up now. And- what we noticed, like literally like three, four days into it, we had, we were getting comments from the flight attendants that the eggs were turning green. Which is and, not good. Which is not good. <laughs> I, I was mean, like, green eggs and ham is cool in a book, but not on the plane. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it it threw us for a loop. Yeah, we so were we like, based- what's happening? We The first thing we thought was because it was touching the aluminum or the aluminum foil liner. And that was one of the first things we thought. And then I'm going to let John. Yeah. Then we just started testing the hell out of it. We were like, man, what's going on? Like we tested the hell out of this before we put it on the plane. And like, as long as we had them out, like who would think to leave it in over 35 minutes. But then when we, we were like, let's load the oven and let's like really like stress to test out and like, let's start pulling them out at 50 minutes. And then we started realizing that at about an hour, they started to kind of change colors about an hour and 15 minutes. It really went green. It was like green eggs and ham. Does that mean inedible? Green means inedible? I mean, uh, to the eye. Technically, it's safe, but uh, to the eye. As they say, you eat with your eyes. So, uh, you know, we started really kind of diving in deeper and trying to figure out, like, what would keep the eggs from turning green. And after a ton of research and a ton of testing, we realized that sour cream built us, like, an extra, like, 30 minutes. So we actually fold. Sour cream and eggs is one of my... All time yeah. favorites, right? John little and little, little barrier of acid and, and yeah. fat. So we fold that into the eggs now when they come out of the steamer, and it gives us about an hour and a half to an hour and forty five minutes before the eggs turn green. And if for some weird reason, if the eggs are sitting in the oven at that point, there's probably a real danger in the sky. You know? Yeah, so, right, right, right. <laughs> not well, just on the eggs. I'm talking about the plane itself. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. So we'll tell all the culinary, all of our culinary comrades out there, our taste buds, our hungry homies. If you had the opportunity, you build up your miles and then get yourself into the Delta One for one of these cross-country flights. Or if you're flying International. internationally, right? Yeah. You guys, how many international flights now do you? I think there's five. I think we have yeah. Shanghai, Sydney, uh, Amsterdam. I mean, what a way to fly into these places with yeah. some of your food on the on board. Let, let's do it to it. It's hard to remember the whole you know, list. Yeah. <laughs> Paris, yeah, Paris is on That's there. That's pretty good. Yeah. Good list. I'd, all, all places I'd like to go. Mexico City's got one flight in the morning, right. I think. Well, spe- speaking of places I want to go, I want to end, end with this. We have a meal in front of us tonight. We are going to John and Vinny's here in Los Angeles, California on Fairfax. Let's talk about the menu. What what do we what do we have in store? This is my first time walking into the restaurant. What I'm, are we going to eat tonight? I mean, it's like the it's 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 a red sauce joint, you yeah. know. And like, and good and thing it's we funny got a big lineup of guys. There's going to be six of us there, so we could definitely get on some eating. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a it's a mix between like it's a mix between like your local pizzeria and a red sauce joint, a little bit elevated, but little not elevated. but not fancy. Elevated. I would say I would say the ingredients are elevated, but the food isn't. It's recognizable. No, it's, it's not fussy food. Stuff. It's just really good ingredients. Yeah. Really great crust on the pizza. Yeah, I mean the, the pasta, best vegetables, etc. Yeah. I you- mean, you nailed it pretty much right there. And I think you know when John and Vinny's was kind of coming to birth, uh, you know, Vinny and I had just become parents, and you know, restaurants kind of always reflect where you're at in your life. And I think when we were getting ready to open that restaurant, it's like this is where our kids were going to go. And we wanted to make it kid friendly, which it totally is. And it's open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So it's kind of diner-esque. Breakfast is really good there. Yeah, breakfast, breakfast, you don't breakfast, want to sleep pizza, on breakfast. Donuts, I, I might have to yeah, wake up early impressive. one of these mornings. What do you think is going to be? We're going to end this. This is going to be my last question. What do you think is going to be my favorite thing tonight? The mozzarella sticks. Chicken parm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> what do you think, Rappo? We've eaten together. Um, I'm going to say the entire menu. 
knowing hey, you. <laughs> we'll just order the whole thing. That 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 does it. It's a big menu. <laughs> Calamari's good. Uh, John Shook, Vinny Dotolo, Adam Rappaport. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right, there we go, my culinary comrades. An unbelievable conversation with John and Vinny. You know, uh, we went out and had an unbelievable meal after that. I'll have to get some of those pictures pulled up again uh, to run with this episode. Speaking of pictures that we're going to run with this episode, definitely get on the Instagram at the House of Carbs. We're going to show a bunch of the beautiful food we enjoyed at a rake's progress with Chef Opie Crooks and Chef Cam. Coming up next week, my hungry homies, we have a couple of our Ringer Authentics traveling abroad. The chief, Craig Gaines, was up in Montreal recently. He really did a beautiful job of belly sourcing for us. And our main man, Kevin Clark, comes on. He hails from Orlando. Orlando, Florida's native son, Kevin Clark, is on. We're talking about a little bit of a food renaissance in Orlando, Florida. That's next week. Until then... My taste buds, let's stay hungry out there.